have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me fill you in on a few things. Like first and foremost, it's free. And there are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Then Anchor is going to distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on multiple platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and so many more. Even better, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And it's so easy, even somebody like me can do it. Now download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And I know you hear me. Hi, I'm Will Harridge, and I'm an audio engineer. But you would not believe the amount of mediocre voice actors I get in on the daily. It's scary, honestly. I always want to recommend them to Elise Bowman, who's the best voice acting coach I know. But I'm always afraid I'm going to offend them and be out of a job. Thankfully, I send the best ones over to her anyway over at EliseCoaches.com, and they keep coming back. Hi, I'm one of the mediocre talents that Will has to work with. And really, I'm thinking about looking up Elise myself. Go look at Elise Coaches today and start your career without ending mine. What he said. Welcome back, everybody, and an early Merry Christmas to all of those who are listening that celebrate Christmas Eve, and I got the best present I can think for you right here. We got another episode of the I Know You Hear Me podcast with me, Flynn Hendricks. Couldn't get any better than that, right? Again, the hits keep on coming with these episodes. I've got another one of my friends from the wrestling business going on with me today. We're going to play a little game of catch-up, see what he's been up to, learn a little bit more about him, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what he's got coming up in the pipeline as well. But before we get started today, I do want to take a minute to thank all of you that continue to listen and support. I want to thank our sponsors that keep this show running. And guys, I ask you every week, and I appreciate those that do it. If you can, follow us on all social media platforms. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Follow us and like us on Spotify, subscribe there, subscribe on Anchor. If you're on Apple iTunes, leave us a five-star review. All of that is greatly appreciated. And now that we've got all that out of the way, I've got a guest today that, depending on who you ask, may be a controversial guest. To me, he's somebody that I always enjoyed being around, and quite frankly, I didn't get to be around him enough. Uh, we got into some tense bar scenes in Nashville a time or two. Uh, kind of felt like the entire bar was against us once or twice. This guy also shares a disdain for a fake nature boy along with myself, so I'm sure we're going to touch on that. But he is one of the best wrestling managers I've ever had the privilege of watching work, and he is somebody that I am privileged to call a friend. Guys, tonight, my guest to you and my guest on the podcast is Wicked Nemesis. Wicked, how are you, man? How are you doing, Flip? Man. What, what have you been up to? Dude, I don't know. I've lost all track of time. I, I can't even believe that it's Christmas now. Like, I don't know where this year has gone. Well, I think everybody was so ready to get out. Yeah. Of, uh, the pandemic going on. Yeah, man. And I think everybody just kind of just ran through this year. It's been a hell of a year. It's almost mirroring last year where the first half of the year just drags out, drags out, and then in a blink of an eye, the year's almost over. Like, I can't process that, but here we are. So we're still doing something, I guess. At least, well, those of us above ground. Can pay, so. Amen to that. I got to be honest. I'm trying to remember the last time that you and I actually saw each other in person. Was it 
early 2014, late 2013, somewhere around there? Yeah, 2014. Man, that is... Yeah, Nashville, when, when the bar tried to uh, fight us. That's right, that's right, because somebody said something about the <laughs> Mohawk. the entire bar. It means the entire bar. Yep, everybody at Miss Kelly's because... Nashville. Some drunk bachelorette said something about your Mohawk, and I don't remember anything else past that except this giant circle of people around us. She asked, could she touch it? And I said, no. You know, you don't just go up to somebody, can I touch your hair? No, you can't touch my hair. Yeah. You know, shit if you're getting married or not. Right. And yeah, this was pre-COVID too, so there was a lot of random like strangers, random drunk girls trying to touch people. That was a thing back in the day. But man, that's been almost ah, eight years at this point, dude. That's insane. Yeah, yeah we saw each other all the time when I first got in the business. And then it was yeah. just... So when you were coming up to Top Rope, I, I, I can't let that go. I, was that like when you were first breaking in? Because I didn't know that. I broke in in 2006. Okay, so you broke in a year before yeah. I did then. So we're we're yeah. right there together then. Jeez, man. Yep. See, I didn't know that. It's like me, you, Bishop, Damian Freeman, yeah. and Kyle Matthews all right there within that little spinning period of time. Oh, man, I miss Kyle. I hadn't seen him in I don't know how long, but I used to see him all the time down in Georgia. Yeah, he's a, I think he picks and chooses where he wrestles. Yeah, very, very sporadically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, plus... Hey, that's one way to be. Save yeah, all the bumps. Absolutely, man. That bump card don't last forever. But, dude, we got a, we got a lot to catch up on. So let's, uh, let's circle back to the beginning, man. Like, what got you not only interested in wrestling, but, like, what was the growing up atmosphere like for a young Wicked, and what pulled you to, like, live performance and professional wrestling? What got you into all that? My grandfather and my grandmother were huge wrestling fans. My real dad and my mom met at a wrestling event in Anniston. They were big Bullet Bob fans. After my grandfather died, my step-grandfather uh, used to go all the time. Mm-hmm. Every time they were right there, he went as well. So it's kind of been all the adults in my life. Yeah. I loved wrestling. But my love for wrestling come in uh, WrestleMania 3. Okay. Bobby, the lead up to it, Bobby Heenan having Andre and Andre snatching the gold cross off. Mm-hmm. I, I remember that Bobby Heenan was what I wanted to be when I got into this business. I wanted to be the next Bobby the Brain Heenan. Like I love all it. People, I wanted to be the next something said the first to myself. I love it. But then uh, Bishop, uh, Ryan Bishop, a lot of people know this is a wrestling hybrid. He's my half brother. And Oh really? We See, I up, didn't know that. We grew up together and you see how big that guy is. Oh yeah. Who has a tank, as a really walking tank. He, he lived in Georgia, lived in Calhoun, Georgia at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think he lost twice his entire high school year. Wow. And he was just so dominant. He started hanging out with our group whenever we met finally. He, we used to always say, we were going to be the tag team. We were going to be the Dudley Boys. Nice. The Dudley Boys and Chris Jericho. For him, Bam Bam Bigelow and Sid Vicious. Mm-hmm. Of course, me, Bobby Heenan, always loved Bobby. And we paid the money and got in. At that time, it was hard to get into wrestling. Oh, yeah. Wrestling was out of Aniston. It was just we didn't know it was still spoken. You still had to know that know the handshake, the mm-hmm. handshake, things like that. You know, just to just to even pay money, and we paid a substantial amount and immediately jumped in. And of course, Bishop sized with him being so big and me being six foot three as a manager. Went around the same areas, but we would get booked at different times at different promotions. So we realized very quickly that we were going to be split up to do so much more. But when we were together, it was magic. Absolutely. So I got a, I got a question about that because 
with a lot of the names you just listed, Bobby Heenan being at the top of the list, the Dudley Boys, Chris Jericho, a lot of those guys tend to be known as the ones that are the heels or the bad guys or that have that brace of attitude or they got the smart mouth and everything. What was it that drew you to those guys as opposed to like a baby face or like the Hardy Boys or somebody that would just be like a normal fan favorite? What drew you to those guys over the typical fan favorites? With Bobby, it was the fact that he was able to have so many big guys. Yeah. So he, it was like a plethora oh, yeah. uh, to have around him. So with that being said, with all of that and just how the control he had over just such powerful men, as I got older, there were certain people that I would pick up on. And uh, Gary Hart is who I've been compared to the most. Yes, I can see I, that I for that sure. Comparison. Watching Gary Hart, being WWE was always really big. Mm-hmm. Of course, NWA being from the South was around about, but in 87, I lived in Dallas, Texas. Oh, really? Okay. And I got to see Terry Von Eric. Nice. Uh, at a Piggly Wiggly. And Texas Rangers are very popular. Yeah. And when they show up, it's like a celebrity shows up in Texas. And to see him, like, I lived down the road from the Sportatorium. I was so poor, I couldn't even go. I couldn't even afford a ticket. Oh, dang. One of my memories is sitting outside the Sportatorium and just being like, what's going on? What's going on? The Von Erics? Von Erics? I don't know. I guess because I've always kind of rooted for the villain. And you can go back to like Die Hard and things like that. Like now, the anti hero is the big thing. Yeah. When it comes to uh, comic book movies, but and movies in general, like John Wick. Mm-hmm. But I've always gravitated towards those guys because if you have a sympathetic villain, it always makes for better storytelling. I always tell everybody, uh, you don't have to be the good guy. You don't have to be the baby face in a story to be the protagonist. Absolutely. The protagonist keeps the story going. An antagonist is the one trying to stop it. And sometimes it's the good guy. Yep. And that, to me, that's how it always was. I've always been into creative writing. And anybody that's listening to my promos knows like my vocabulary is huge. I just. Yes, sir. I like to cuss a lot. <laughs> Not really, but as I've gotten older, the cussing has definitely come out. Yep. It's that's very just. Hard when you're being called some of the things, not to be like. Yep, that's just a little extra seasoning on there, but like I can relate to so much of that because especially like the anti-hero or the little shades of gray that are in there, there's more character development with a lot of the villains and the anti-heroes most times than there are with the like you said the typical protagonist. So, I get that, and especially like getting into acting here too, the more of that character arc and development you see, there's a lot of relatable things that you have to get past that first layer to see. It's like peeling back the onion. So I, I get that. And then the promos and the creative writing too, like I didn't realize again that was something that we had in common too. So that's even that's like just another check in my book. So I respect all that. But when you met Carrie Von Eric and like you said, Orion is your half brother, when the family starts seeing the interest peak in all this, were they supportive of it? Did they try and stop no, it or no. No, because I'm going to say something really quick, and I'm about to smoke, and I know it's bad for everybody. Don't smoke, don't start. But uh, Orion Bishop had a chance to go to the Atlanta Falcons. Oh. He played fullback. Uh, Orion Bishop played for uh, the Birmingham Steel Dogs, the Tennessee Valley Vipers, the West Texas, I forget what they were called, Journal Generals or something. Yeah. Man, see, I'm learning so much right now. Everybody always thought Bishop was going to go to the NFL. Yeah. Especially being in arena football and doing everything that he could and – busting his ass yeah being so athletic we thought that that's what he was going to do i mean you just you just look at him walking on walking down the street you would think he is a pro football player 
I remember that. Like, I haven't seen him in years, but I just remember that visual of him and, like, he's legitimately a walking tank. So I, I get that. Your best friend, Seven. <laughs> oh, yeah. When you Seven, the first time we ever saw, you remember Kodiak? Yes. Uh, rest of soul? Yes. First time we ever saw Kodiak, Bishop was like, I don't know if he's a wrestler, but he's somebody. And we'd been in the business two years at the time. <laughs> and he's just trying to get in. When I saw Reverend Dan and Seven together, I was like, I looked at Bishop and I was like, can, is, can we cancel here? Yeah, yeah, feel free, man. Uh, I, said, I looked at Bishop and I was like, we have fucked up along the way somewhere. <laughs> look at them, look at us. <laughs> Reverend, Dan, Reverend Dan and Jeff Bailey, you know this. Oh, yeah. Two of the best to ever do it. And for yes, me sir. to come along during that time and you'll be in anarchy with them was amazing. Absolutely. We saw them together in Tennessee with Terry Teague. Oh, Terry Teague. Oh, the Jerry Springer <laughs> legend. <laughs> Terry, no. we saw, I was like, shit, we have fucked up. I know you give Seven so much shit. You are so funny. Oh, yeah. Nobody talks to Seven like that but you. You're the only person that gives Seven shit except for maybe Towers and Huckabee. Yeah. I like don't even fuck with Seven. <laughs> And a little backstory on that, too, because he hasn't been a guest yet, but, like, we worked together, we had an, a seasonal acting job together, we were a tag team, and that man almost killed me three different times unintentionally, so it's pretty much he's earned every piece of verbal abuse I give him. Like, that's how we communicate now, but, you know, it's like, ah, uh, I'm trying to remember, like... Back around that time, because I know he was coming to Porter's and everything, were Orion and oh, yeah. Seven ever booked together, or was that something that was in the works? Because I know he won the, the Mid-America Heavyweight title, but then it's like, I think he oh, yeah. got hurt or something like yeah. that. Yeah, they were uh, in that little faction together with Daniel Manley. Yes, yes. Whatever he was doing. Yep. And now then, referee uh, Dan Engler for WWE. Yep. Yes. But Bishop and Seven got to tag. That's what years later. That's what it we was. To, man, I, it took years for me to get that going. And then I will say this: I know there's a lot of big tag teams out there. If they would have been pushed right, those guys, nobody could fucking touch. Yep. Them. I'm sorry. And I mean, I'll say the Orion, same thing. Seven, just just being there around them. You can even talk to Alex Kane. Alex Kane doing big things. Shane Mako, like yeah. Them, you're like, oh my god. I'll say the same thing. When you got two guys that big. They don't look as big. No, no. And I, I mean, I'll even say the same thing about, if you remember Xavier Mustafa, former guest on here, oh, yeah. when he was with Seven and they were a tag team, I know there was that push at one point to try and get the, you know, the NWA World Tag Titles for him, but it never really panned out for anything. But I mean, it's like something about this area, like you've got something that just makes common sense, put these big guys together and nobody can touch them. But it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. It's like something about this area where common sense just goes out the window and nothing happens. I'll tell you exactly what it is. They don't know how to use big guys around here. No, they don't. Big guy wrestling around here, if you're not attached to Bill Barron's hip, nobody knows what to do with you. That's it. You look at Bishop and what he's doing. Look at, uh, you know, I haven't posted much on Facebook the last few months since Angie passed away. I haven't felt like even being on there. Yeah, and, I understand. Uh, and just going on there and. If Ryan Bishop can lose, if Seven can lose, like everybody can lose. Nobody yeah. wants to lose, and they want to have a great match with somebody. And like Seven would come down Seven drives just to have three minute matches, and that's not yeah. how you book somebody. No, that's how you build somebody up. But Seven can go. Yes, you look at some of the matches they had at Pro South Ace Haven. Just let us go. Yeah, and we did. And that's I mean, it was great fun, and 
but Ace knows how to book big guys. But when you've got Towers there, Towers legit seven foot tall because it was Towers, Logan Creed, Bull Buchanan, yeah, seven, myself, and Bishop, some of the biggest guys in wrestling, yep. all right there together. And like you said, it, it, that makes a difference right there. Like you, it's something you said, you build somebody with a three minute match, but you've got to go past that at some point too. Like and like you said, he can work. That stigma. Oddly enough, like up until maybe a year or so ago, I had a lot of people that would still talk to me and say, man, did that guy ever learn to work? Did that guy ever learn this? Like, do you not keep up with, like, just because he's not wrestling in this area, do you not keep up with what he does in Wisconsin and Georgia, Alabama, wherever he's going? Like, it blows my mind that there's just like this little bubble where if it's outside of Nashville, it's like it doesn't matter. In situations like, like everywhere. Yeah. How do you how do you navigate the waters in situations like that? Because I mean, you know, we're always told go out and get experience, get exposure, go wherever you can. And like speaking from experience, I've wrestled in thirteen states from Texas to West Virginia. But to some of these people that you go to, it's like it doesn't even matter if you haven't done something locally; they don't care. Like, how do you navigate that, especially when you're managing somebody like Orion or the Unlucky Charms? Like, how did you navigate something like that? Politics. That's the politicking part. Yeah. Nobody wants to go up for us to go to the NWA for Tasha to bring us up there and for Derek Mill and I can't remember his tag partner. Eric was awesome. Eric Andrews. Yes. Yep. Yes. Eric Andrews. Great tag team. They yeah. went under to the unlucky charms. Like they checked their ego at the door. They knew that there was money to be had down the road. Yep. NWA tag team champions. They didn't have to wrestle them, much less lose to them. Yep. But they did. About doing business. Yeah. Do you want to make money now? Do you want to make a little bit of money now or make a lot of bit of money in the long run? Absolutely. That's what it's about now, and I agree. It's the WWE, the attention span. Absolutely. They want you to forget stuff that's just happened. And a lot of bookers, a lot of promoters, being a booker and promoter myself for many years, I think it goes down to the difference between a booker and a promoter. A promoter usually just promotes the show, mm-hmm. and then a booker will book these guys, and you have to know their strengths and their weaknesses. Yes. I learned a lot from Paul Heyman and, you know, the downfall of ECW. Yes, you read my mind. I mean, I have 500 other wrestling DVDs in the back room. I don't have room for them all. And navigating them is knowing where you're going, the strengths of the other guys on the card, and letting whoever you're with, especially as a manager myself, letting them know who's the top dog here, Yeah, who's the tag team, what's their finishing moves, what do they do, what are they good at. So then you have that time. And also another thing is people don't ride together. Right. It used to be that like when we were coming from Nashville every other Thursday, it was Michael Posey, Corey Hollis. Oh yeah. Will <laughs> Wild uh, thing, Ryan wild thing. Yeah. And you know, and you get to talk about your matches after that. If you're driving from Atlanta to Gadsden and you're the only one in the car, who's gonna critique you? You're gonna be on the phone with me for three hours. Right. Which has happened. Again, another guy that was at top rope when you guys came up, Vic the Bruiser, talking to him a couple weeks ago. You learn more in the cars than you actually do in the ring because that's when you break down everything. That's when you like figure out, like, or you get asked, why did you do this here? Or, you know, maybe try this here and you get those pieces fine tuned and everything kind of falls into place. I learned a lot from Will Owens. Yeah. His Nashville trip, like I told him before, I can never repay him for some of that because he would be like, well, because remember, originally I was doing commentary. Yes. Well, they had me go by my shoot name, which nobody calls me. 
Right, right. And it just comes to the point to where like people would start to refer to me as wicked, wicked, wicked. Yep. And then it just become that to where Bill Barron's is like, oh, I guess you're fucking wicked nemesis now. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you should have done that from the get go. But yeah, I guess so. Him, I understand. I don't like it, but I understand. Right. And just to give give Will Owens his due for a minute, that guy is probably one of the most unsung, entertaining guys I've ever seen. And I saw him go out for, gosh, I think it was 10 or 15 minutes, and he had a broken leg. Something, he dislocated his knee. He had his left leg in a full brace, went out yeah. for 10 minutes, and stalled, and just, he had the crowd in the palm of his hand in Nashville just to go out and get rolled up by a guy to drop his heavyweight title, but for 10 minutes, he didn't do anything but act like he was going to lock up with a brace on his leg, and these people ate up every single bit of it. That's a lost talent today in itself. Less is more. Exactly. Did you guys, I know. the difference between a wrestler and a worker. Yes. A worker knows how to work. That's it. Not every wrestler will become a worker. But every worker is a wrestler. Yes. And that's something that I was fortunate enough. You know, I'd heard a lot of guys say it on the indies, but the one time I did get to work with WWE, that's one thing that William Regal hit on every chance he could. There's a difference between a wrestler and a worker. You could be a good wrestler, but you're not a good, you may not be a good worker or vice versa. You know, he used the ultimate warrior as the example. Good worker, horrible wrestler. But he knew what to do to get the crowd's attention and make what he did matter. So, again, that's one of those things that's just like it's such a lost art now. And I know you're not afraid to speak your mind in situations like that. What's it like for you in a situation where you have one of your guys that's going to be working with somebody that may not grasp that? And you have to step in and have that conversation. Like, do you try to approach it diplomatically or does it all depend on the person? How does that go exactly? It depends on their attitude. You know when somebody's having a bad night. Oh, yeah. And I'll let it slide. Flynn, you know this. I will throw hands. Yeah, I've seen I've it. So many fights in professional wrestling. It is unbelievable. And I think that's also another thing that's missing. Like, nowadays, you used to have a locker room leader. Like, shit hit the fan. Yeah. You have to deal with them. Yeah. And I've been fortunate enough to only have to do it a few times. But when I do it, I make my point known and... That's that. Yeah. If you want to be friends afterwards, we can. Ask Amos Moses. Amos and I are cool. Yeah. Amos is fucking ass in Palmerdale. We're going out there and being disrespectful to everyone of my promos. I beat his fucking brains in. To this day, he still can't see out of his eye right. You know what? Oh, well. He could have pressed charges. He could have been a fucking baby about it. But he knew why he was getting that ass to beat. And see, that's one and of those I broke, things. I broke my hand on his big ass head, but still. <laughs> oh, if you did that to him, I can only imagine what happened with Paul Lee. But uh, we'll come to that in a minute. Again, in a situation like that, like not encouraging violence by any means, but going back to Derek and Eric, because you said they checked their egos at the door. When you guys came up, we were working as a skeleton crew. Like there were maybe five constants on that show. It was those two, me, Carry Awful, and then it was like a revolving door with maybe Nick Iggy or Vic the Bruiser or somebody. But it was a lot of double working, and Derek and Eric were. Tennessee heavyweight and junior heavyweight champion. They were tag champions. And again, like you said, they were doing the business to build a program with you guys. You know, in situations like that, you see the guys that check their egos at the door. Again, I've used this phrase before. They're big macho men. But then you go to these other shows and these guys that haven't traveled, haven't done anything except work that one show for 10, 15 years. Where do you think this unwarranted ego comes from, from those guys that haven't done all this? Is it a defense mechanism? Where do you think that stems from with a lot of these guys? 
Well, a lot of people would go to one promotion and just stay there yeah. for their entire careers. I'm totally against that. Mm-hmm. And I have worked promotions like GCW Phoenix City and GCW Impella City, UIW, when I was working uh, Peach State. You know, you just have to let them know, like, hey, I'm not going to be just here. Yeah. If you're good enough. Now, there's some people that can't get bookings, and they're stuck there. A lot of these guys make a lot of money with one promotion for one promotion. Right. But they grow stale quickly. Yes. And you can tell when they're cutting the same promo of, let me tell you something. You guys know if as soon as the promo starts off like that, I'm done. Yeah. You kind of know where the uh, where the old stick goes, but there's no like there's nothing new added to it. It's just the same vanilla every time. When you guys would come in something fresh and try to work with these people, did they ever like? Let's say y'all hadn't been in as long as they had, but y'all had, had more matches. Did you ever have to navigate the waters where that was? Well, who's calling the match? Who's who's got the most experience to call it? Did you ever have to have that battle with anybody? I've been brought up. Uh, Hills calls the match. Mm-hmm. A hill will be the one to call the match because most of the time those are the guys that are the workers. Yes, very and much so. They don't mind losing, but every once in a while you'll come across somebody that has been in one promotion and it's happened, and they'll come up with this, and they've been thinking about this match all week. Yep, they have this entire <laughs> match, and you go over like that makes no sense. You've called your spots and my spots. No, thank you. And that the, happens a lot. And half the time, the spots they call for you are stuff that you couldn't or wouldn't do. Like, I'm sorry, I'm five I'm, foot... I'm not going to do a shotgun arm drag. Sorry. Yeah. Like, I'm five foot six. Why am I going to... I don't know, like, why am I going to try and back suplex a six foot three guy or something like that? Like, how does that make any sense? And why would I take that move from you if I can't make it look good and it's going to make us both look bad? I've experienced this a lot after the business and everything. Do you feel like if some of these guys maybe had some outside acting or improv experience, that would help? with their mindset in the business overall, kind of give back to the give-and-take mentality? Uh, I think some people, yes, but a lot of the guys will be decent actors after the business. Right. Uh, there are some guys that should not be in the business. True There's story. There's guys that are quote-unquote top guys around the Southeast that should not be in the business. Should not. And they're top guys because they trade off different bookings with different people. Yeah. Look, I'll book you here if you book me there. Mm-hmm. That's not how it should be. Yeah, it be about who makes the money. Exactly. And now with the internet, with the inter- like IWTV, you're bringing in a whole nother crew of people because then you have guys that will not travel that mm-hmm. only see you on IWTV, and you've got guys that that is the appeal. You can pay them twenty and forty dollars as long as they have a decent match and it goes on on IWTV. It used to be seventy five dollars. Yeah, just for somebody to leave their house. But I think that this is the best that wrestling has ever been right now. I think this is a golden age of wrestling, and I think that there's so much talent and the athleticism is so just over the top. If these guys would learn to work instead mm-hmm. of just do big moves, this would be like it'd be hands down. Oh yeah! But just my opinion, I think it is the greatest that wrestling has been a long time, if not ever. I mean, you say your opinion, but there are a lot of people that agree with that as well. And I mean, I'll be honest, like you know, coming up on three years that I've been out now. I kind of got burned out on things, so I kind of strayed away, but I've kept up with it through seven to kind of know what's going on. But, like, you see all this big stuff happening. So, I mean, I would have to agree that it is a good time for everybody to work because you still see guys making the bookings, taking the traveling bookings. But saying that, I know one thing that I struggled with back when I was in and going full-time, especially as I started a family, was 
well, you can travel, but you're going to end up break, you know, you, you won't even break even. You're going to be in the red. So did you ever have to like have that conversation where, Hey, I know we talked about this, but I'm not going to make this four hour drive if it's not going to, you know, benefit me financially. Or they say you can get network, you know, you can network and get exposure. Did you ever have to cross that bridge? And what's your stance on that? I hate that. We're going to pay you an exposure. Yeah. I hate that. Up until 2010, mm-hmm. maybe 2009, I was losing money. Same. But that's just that's just how it is. Yeah. But then, they, but me losing that money there for that period of time, even as a manager, helped me for the next 12, 13 years. Yeah. Like I made money all the way up until the very moment that I left VCW. Like I, I never went without, and I made sure that everybody was distributed. Absolutely. Spent eighty seven hundred dollars last year. On VCW, trying to get them up and going, trying to Mm -hmm. make sure that they had. But you know what? I only lost two hundred eighty seven of that money. Wow! I made all that money back because I knew the strengths and weaknesses of the guys I was bringing in. Yeah. When I bring somebody in, you have to know that they're going to put asses in the seats, or why do you have them? Absolutely. Like Charles Sanders bringing in Sanders was a huge thing. A lot of people don't like Charles. Charles made money, and Charles made a lot of people money. Mm -hmm. But they were mad about his attitude. And yes, people are going to have attitudes. We're all prima donnas, or most of us are. I know I am. But if you can check that ego long enough to do business and to help everybody out and to make the card as a whole better, plus to do what you're doing. Yep. I mean, you can't. can't, Absolutely. And the wisdom that they bring and the intelligence is just something that, you know, you can't put a dollar sign on. I agree. Now, a couple things I want to circle back to in what you just said there, going back to the prima donna statement. You know, you hear it a lot, especially, I guess, in shoot interviews or whatever it may be, where they say somebody was hard to work with or somebody had an attitude. Is there a difference between somebody, let's say, standing up for themselves and pushing back on an idea that they don't see the big picture in or they don't think is going to be the best thing or they may not be the right person for it and they speak out against it? Do you see that as an unnecessary ego or is it all about in the way they go in approaching that situation, so to speak? No, I think it's a uh, case-by-case basis. There are some guys like nobody knows your character better than you. Yes. And if they do, then there's a problem. But if you're able to bring in guys that you know, you can go out there and be like, like Shane Mako, I brought Shane Mako in. I told Shane Mako, mm-hmm. go out and be Shane Mako. Go out and be the best Shane Mako you can be. Nobody ever told him that. He yeah. was trained by A.R. Fox. But you have to tell them, I want you to be you turned up to 100. Absolutely. Or at Final Tap, I want you to go up to 11. Yeah, but these go up to 11. You have to bring your utmost because I think people forget not only is it an art form, mm-hmm. the reason why the ring is raised up is so people can look up to us. Yes. Look up at us. We're supposed to be higher than them. Supposed yes. To be better than them. It's a stage. And when you're out smoking a cigarette with the fuck, with the fucking fans during your uh, intermission, you're right there with them. Yeah. Why are they going to come pay to see somebody that's going to come and bum a smoke for them? Exactly. Them an hour into it. It's just it's different strokes from different folks. But yes, people have egos. And I like for people to know their character and know you can protect your character and still do business. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, that's that's one thing I can say for sure, because I had to work. I'm five foot five, five, six on a good day, depending on what pair of boots I was wearing. But I had to work with a lot of people that didn't even have gear and I would end up losing nine times out of ten. 
But with the way things worked, every time I would come back to a show, people would still come. They would still boo me. They would still try and... There were people that would try and come over the guardrail at me. I've had to fight fans before. Like, if you do it the right way, you can still do business, like you said, and still make that person look better than they are, make yourself still come out on top. And, you know, it's not always about wins and losses. It's about just telling the story and being willing to contribute to the overall big picture and not just the right now. Again, it all circles back to, like you said, checking your ego. And I I will say this, and this is something that's come up now in this day and age. If you're an independent wrestler and you're not vaccinated, what the fuck are you doing? Yes. We're supposed to be out here protecting each other. Mm -hmm. If you're out here doing your day job, being around people, if you've got kids, you know, the kids. Yeah. I've got two little kids, and the first week we had five people test positive for COVID right off the bat. Yeah. And my youngest is the reason why I got vaccinated. Yeah. I'm not active right now, not by my doing, but I'm not active right now in wrestling. And a thing for somebody to be unvaccinated in the ring is just god awful. And I wrestled during the pandemic. I had the most matches of my career during the pandemic. Wow. I mean, that's that's exactly right, too. And going back to seven, I know that's been a reason that he's vaccinated through our job. We both got vaccinated at the same time. But a lot of these shows weren't doing the proper precautions. So he hasn't been taking the bookings. So, you know, he's just been trying to get back in shape or what he deems good enough shape. And then, you know, doing the acting job for more character development. But again, like you said, if you're not out here protecting yourself, it's more than just the bumps in the ring. In this day and age, it's the vaccination too, because we always say, I'm going to send you home the way you came. You know, we're going to make it look like we're killing each other, not to go too far behind the curtain. But again, it's all about taking care of your other, you know, taking care of the brotherhood, so to speak. But most people have kids. Yes. Family to go home to. Yep. And to, and you know, the worst thing is after a match, when the adrenaline goes down, making that long drive home. (sighs) Yeah. Because luckily to my kids, I was like a super villain. Yeah. To my kids, it was always because my girls, especially, would go on the road with me. My son, when I got in the business, he was four. So he got to hang around with Bull and hang around Mike and Taylor and all these people got to meet Lud Slitter. Doesn't really remember it though. Right, right. So young. But my girls being in it all the time, especially the last like three or four years, you have to know that some people bring their kids. You don't want to do anything to them. Yeah. Where now their kids are stuck with a dad that has a torn ACL or, you know, a messed up elbow or has a concussion. Well, now you've stranded an entire family somewhere that they're not from. Exactly. Like most of most of run so rampant in this business because yeah. they're fucking nasty. Promoters don't clean their mats. Yeah. You know, when I first broke in, too, and started traveling, you'd still see bloodstained mats, and you wouldn't even think about it. I'd been in the ring, and, and, you know, knock on wood, thankfully, I got tested after the fact. I'm clean, but I had a guy bleed on me in a match, and we actually had a, a gimmick match, and I bled, too. And come to find out, you know, like, he had HPV, and he had an STD. I'm lucky, and he didn't tell anybody. I'm lucky I didn't catch anything. But again, like... So much of that stuff, and like you said, they've got kids, they've got a family. You don't want to leave them stuck somewhere that's not, that's not home. Like I've always thought it, but I've never really heard anybody say that. So thank you. That's one thing too. Is we'll bring the Paul Lee story up now. Like in situations like that, where you see these people that that have these issues, and things may escalate over that. 
Do you feel like that's something where if it happens in the ring that goes too far, it's warranted? What are your thoughts on something like that where it turns into a shoot? Nobody paid to see a shoot. If you're going to do something like that, do it backstage. Yep. And that's what happened with Paul Lee and I. Uh, he just he had talked shit about Damon, Damon Taz. Everybody knows Damon Taz, ordained minister. Mm-hmm. One of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. Yeah. You know when somebody's quote-unquote working, which first yeah. of all, you're trying to advance the storyline through social media. No, yeah. you don't do that. Just running down the entire GCW locker room and the fact that he said he was the only wrestler and just wanted to go after everybody. When he went after Damon, that was kind of the end of it. And I even told him, because there was a line of people waiting for my autograph, and it was a Toys for Tots show in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And right beside it was a little abandoned, it used to be part of the pub. Yeah. I don't want to do it in front of the kids. Yeah. I was a, I was a hill for the top hills in the company, and still kids were wanting my autograph because it was a Toys for Tots. And you don't do that in the ring. Now, right. Tater somebody. That's one thing, but shooting on somebody, no. Yeah. And I've seen it happen. Uh, I saw uh, it's happened several times when I would be in the ring. And yes, I have knocked people out and yeah. shoot pin somebody because they didn't know what they were doing. Yeah. But you do it and you get out. You don't make a big scene about it. Mm-hmm. You don't grab them by the hair of the head. You don't pick their face up and knee them to where everybody can see that their uh, their face is destroyed. No. Yeah. But backstage, they get that ass whooped. Yeah. That's what you should do. Nobody paid to see a shoot. Exactly. And the thing is, too, like you said, if it's a you know, if it's a little jab or a tater or something like that, the crowd's not gonna know any difference, especially if you pin them, get out. That's what they think was supposed to happen. Or whatever it may be. But, you know, in situations like that too, going back to the family, the kids, you don't want to have somebody in a situation where they have to explain that to their kids after the fact, too, because a lot of these shows promote themselves as family-friendly. People bring their kids. You don't want to have to explain that to, or have somebody have to explain that to a five-year-old that's in the crowd or whatever it may be. I mean, it's just a lot of this stuff that I I see these guys, it, it's like it doesn't click with them for whatever reason, and I just I don't understand that. Well, it's because they're idiots. That's what it is. It's all about them. They're not trying to make the business better. I was always told, leave the business better than how you found it. Absolutely. And there's people that are just for ego. They're in it because that's all they can do. They fell out of high school. They're always a big, tough, you know, burly guy. Always, yep. you know, the badass of the group. And then they go into wrestling and then they just proceeded to act like bullies. Yeah. And then you come across somebody that doesn't like a bully and then they get their asses beat. Now, I will explain to their kids after I beat their dad's ass backstage. But it's different than doing it in the ring and being like, oh, this is, you know, we're friends, but I'm about to have to hurt your dad. Another one's to be like, your dad's a fucking piece of shit. And I don't regret anything I've done to him. I've had to have that conversation with uh, kids before. Yeah. Like, yeah, sorry, I just busted your dad's jaw. I hate to say it, but unfortunately around these parts too, man, like some of the guys that that's ended up happening with not too long after that, you, you find out that person's been arrested for domestic assault or sexual abuse, whatever it is, like... It's unfortunate that some of these people get in and it just a blind eye gets turned to it. When you're in a situation like that, if you have any say so over like, do you try to just distance yourself from those people? Is that out of your hands? Like if it's somebody that's actually telling you to book that person, do they like are your hands tied in a situation like that? Because I know there was a situation around here where a guy fresh out of jail was getting booked front and center on every show, every poster, and 
everybody would just turn a blind eye to it, and I never understood that. So, like, how do you navigate a situation like that? Well, usually I would not book them. <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's kind of the situation I fell into with BCW. Oh, really? Uh, Slaughter was arrested for uh, something with an underage child. And I guess it's been solved, and it was a misunderstanding, whatever. I'm not sure on that. But, right, uh, right. I asked him to sell the company to me. I was going to buy the company from him. He wouldn't do that. Uh, so I told him to make me the the proprietor, make me the uh, the owner and save, but the booker and promoter. Yeah. And just for him to go get this taken care of, come back when it's over. And Damien Freeman showed up at a show. I get a call saying that Johnny didn't want him there. Well, Johnny wasn't in the building, so what does he care about it? Well, Johnny ended up coming down there. And then there's a big thing, so now it makes it seem like that Johnny was running the company when I was there. And mm. so many people had only come back to work because they were going to be answering to me. Right. And that happened with about 17 guys oh, wow. on that roster that would only come and work for me. Johnny comes around. Next thing I know, I've been demoted. And now I'm just back to being part of the booking committee, and he's back in charge. Oh. Well, I decided to step away because I had tore uh, my ACL in February. Mm-hmm. Again, it's the fourth time I've torn it. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to take a step back. I'm just going to take some time off. And then they decided that they were going to try to run a summer camp with kids, even though Johnny was accused of doing something with a child. Wow. And that was the end of VCW. Several people made sure that that was it. A lot of the talent left. Yeah. I went in and told in the booking committee how stupid I thought it was, found out whose idea it was, told them it was retarded that they had any kind of say so in it and i left and i Und- haven't done anything wrestling since then understandable and, w- and it was just so nuclear and such radioactive that i become radioactive yeah and people that had always had trust in were like oh well you knew he was going to come back no i fucking didn't i knew he would eventually but i didn't realize it was going to be so soon right I, the company was making money we had 293 people in the paid in the sands the last night that i booked mm-hmm and then you drop down to where now there's Spartan wrestling and there's 40 people. Same spot, great spot, Gadsden, Alabama, in the mall. Gadsden had not had wrestling in forever. Now you got New South going there and doing their shows where they've only got 50. Yeah. Because now everybody's like, well, we don't get to see anybody we want. You have Ben now with the WWE. You have Alex with MLW. Mm-hmm. You have O'Hagan, who's still with Spartan. You have Mako, who is doing everything all the Southeast. You have the Violet Gentleman who will be at New Era this week, Yeah, doing all this stuff. So everybody just got other bookings. And we had a pipeline with WWE Force, so we were able to use a lot of their young guys. So they were getting uh, exposure, they were getting paid, and they were getting good matches, and they were learning. Man. Because we had the people involved to where they could learn, get paid, and then AR Fox could go back and be like, oh, man, you know, I've had seven of my guys going over here. We got endorse- endorsement by AR over there. Yeah. I mean, that was great. And then after the summer camp shit, that was it. Mm, I Thankfully, they didn't do the summer camp. Yeah, thank God. That was in bad taste. I'm sorry. I don't give a shit what they, how they tried to yeah. paint it over as or say it was. It was a terrible idea. I, I'm not even going to try and crawl inside the mind there and figure that out. But going to the mindset of it, in a situation like that, where, you, like you said, you got demoted, so to speak, you injured your ACL, and like I said, you got nuclear, and you you took a step back there. 
did it ever cross your mind like maybe I need to just step away for a little bit? Did you want to put more focus on the family? Like, did the thought ever cross your mind of just like getting out of wrestling or had that thought crossed your mind before that at any time? Before Angie died, we had had one big blow up and it was after all that happened. Mm -hmm. I told her that I was stepping away because my kids didn't want me to leave. My kids love wrestling. Yeah. That's all that my girls have ever known their entire life is me wrestling. Right. And I just felt betrayed by how shit went down, especially some of those guys that I had started in 2006 with guys that, you know, had been to my home. Yeah. Not a lot of people know where I live. And if I bring you in my home, there's a certain trust. Absolutely. Threw a temper tantrum and screamed at Angie and told her that, you know, I just, I was done. Yeah. That it was bullshit that they had been taken away from me and, I wanted to get back immediately. And then when Angie died in August, it was like, I don't really give a shit. Yeah. Like, because I had lost, I had lost wrestling and this sounds weird, but I lost MF doom. Who was one of my favorite rappers, DMX, who was quintessential in my upbringing, like through his music. Mm-hmm. I lost Angie and I lost Norm McDonald and I lost wrestling all within eight months, Jesus, nine months. Norm. Man. Cause Norm was Norm. Norm was my guy. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that one. I redid my entire living room and kitchen and bedroom and stuff. Just, you know, just trying to keep up working six days a week now. And I've always been able to provide through wrestling. Yeah. And my, my day job has been really cool about it because I've been there for 11 years. But now some of those people are like, you're here all the time. Like, right. Yes. I got to provide. Yeah, exactly. I, I get wrestling's it. Not, wrestling's not doing it, so something has to. Yeah, no, I, I get that. To, I'm not going back to throwing rocks. So. Right, right. I, I, if you're comfortable like digging into it a little bit, and I don't want to you know, open any, any wounds or anything, but when Angie unfortunately passed, how did you navigate the waters you know, with the kids and everything? Like, How did you keep everything together, and how did you handle everything? Because like you said, that was a lot... Especially like, you know, with Norm MacDonald, DMX, and all these people that were such big parts of your life, whether you knew them personally or not, and then Angie passes away on top of that. Like, how did you hold everything together? Because I can't even imagine going through that. Barely. I had a nervous breakdown during the pandemic last year. Mm-hmm. And that was a big eye-opener because everybody was in lockdown, but I was only off uh, my day job for a month and a day. Yeah. So I was constantly doing that. And with the athletic commissioning allowing us to do that, you know, it was mm-hmm. get this done, get that done. I got tested for for COVID probably a hundred times Oof. in the first year. Just up my nose all the time. It just but oh, it was a way to keep everybody in check. So yeah. with that being said, I had already kind of lost my mind because I couldn't I would have to go to my kids' house and wave outside. You know, like, hey, how are y'all? My mom has survived breast cancer and throat cancer. So I have to go see what she was doing, see if she did anything and just staying busy. But like, I'm still not over it. Like, no, I understand. Oh, it's it's one of those things that depending on the day, I may be okay. And there may be days that just the simplest song, maybe a heart, you know, nothing at all will come on, make me cry a Toto or Luke Bryan will come on, you know, drink a beer or something. Yeah. I understand. But I I have a great support system. My kids, Xavier, Marilyn, and Lily, and of course, Xanders and Berg, Tank, those guys checking in with me all the time, Mako checking in with me. Yeah. I'm fortunate enough that I have more friends 
now than I had when I got into the business. Absolutely. I don't have some of the, I don't have the same friends, but I have been lucky enough that there's enough people here that I respect, that respect me in the business. Yeah. That even, even if I never went back, I'd be happy and nobody could touch a lot of the stuff I've done. Like nobody say they had a police escort because I made Honey Boo Boo cry with the TLC executives. <laughs> You're my hero for that, by the way. And I beat the shit out of Paul Lee, so yes. which everybody has wanted to do. <laughs> Those are two bucket list goals right there. Um, Tony, he was about to lose that nose. Yeah, Hendrix, I keep wanting to call you Hendrix, <laughs> he, uh, he, was, he was about to lose that nose. Everybody knows. He's just such a prick, man. Anybody that paints their fans on the walls, Anybody that will pay Rick Flair to come out and give him a heavyweight title? Come on, man. You ain't yeah. got shit in this business. You know, I love I love Mr. Gallows. I love Luke. Yeah. I told him, I said, Mr. Gallows, you know, I love you and I respect you. You've been nothing nice to me, but that motherfucker doesn't deserve to be in this business. And if you gave me five more seconds, I was going to bite his fucking nose off. I was literally going to do the Saigon horde that bit my nose off from dirty work. Speaking of Norm. Yeah. <laughs> the, one, the one thing I'll say about Paul, like, you know, I'd heard the stories, and then then I met him, and then I saw the video. You know, like you said, paying Ric Flair to come out and endorse him with the world's title. At that time, my friend Rob Conway was the NWA world's champion, so he naturally took offense to that because it was he was paying somebody to call him the real world's champion. And then on top of that, too, in all of that. Ric Flair's son had just passed, his youngest son had just passed away, and Paul had him say a line in there talking about how he was a great father to his children. Like, there's yep. not a lot of redeeming qualities on that end, man. And you're doing this in front of like 15 or 20 people, so... Remember when he paid the guy, to, uh, the comedian, to let him knee him in the balls, and that was a big thing, and then he found the Purple Heart of an injured veteran and uh, wanted to sell it? I remember. I remember and both of those. Ran, and when he ran for mayor, when he ran for mayor and didn't live in the district, yes, and caught up with the election fraud. Yes, or the fact that he, uh, the fact that uh, he paid somebody to pull a gun on him. He paid that lady to pull a gun on him in the show. Okay, I didn't know that he paid the comedian, and I didn't know that he paid the woman to pull the gun on him. I did not know either one of those, but now that they, you say that, that does not surprise me. Well, he gave, he gave that that lady had been there every show. For him, because it's not an event, it's a show. Yeah. He'd been there every show, and then all of a sudden she just happens to have a gun when he's going through all this mayor, mayoral bullshit. Mm. Yeah, he's just a piece of shit. Like, I'm yeah. a piece of shit, but I admit I'm a piece of shit. Yeah, you but. You know the devil. Like, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to cut you, Savvy. I'm not going to cut your throat. Exactly. And that's the thing, too, is like, during, I remember during that mayoral campaign, a lot of people would have the same stories where. He, he owned houses or he owned duplexes or whatever, and somebody would be on hard times with medical bills. He'd tell them they could skip their payments or whatever it was. And, you know, like they'd have the written messages or the text messages, emails from him. But then a month later, he'd kick them out because they hadn't paid. And, man, it's hard to find any redeeming qualities there. And like you said, you know, like you see these people that are always cool to you or like a Luke Gallows or somebody. And... You know, they hang out with him. He's on, you know, talking shop a mania or whatever it may be. And it's just like. He's a money mark. He pays to be on that. Yes. Have you ever paid to be on a show? No. Besides, you know, funding the gas? No, me either. He does. And I... he goes out and buys all these guys stuff. Like, ask Ricky Morton and Robert Gibbons about it. Ricky Morton made me tell the Pauly story seven fucking times at GCW. Oh, my when God. All those guys were there when I beat his ass. They were there when it happened. And he just. <laughs> 
kept laughing about it. Yep. He even said that Paul Paul's a piece of shit. But Paul flew them out to Washington to hang out with some uh, money mark who paid him twenty thousand dollars to hang out with Bay with him. Wow, man! That's I wish he, I... he just he just that's he's that sleazeball. Wish I had that kind of money to throw around, but man, before we go too far down the Paul Lee rabbit hole. Uh, Got a whole other side tangent I could go off on there. I do want to circle back to something that really sticks out to what you said a minute ago, where you said you've got friends from the business now that you didn't have when you first broke in. Like I said, you're not afraid to be controversial. You're not afraid to speak your mind. And the image that you put off is you. When you meet people, especially when these guys like end up becoming your friends, like a tank or an iceberg or somebody, did they get the wrong impression the first time like just based off your demeanor did they know that was you and respect you for it it was kind of like a warming up period what was that like how did you navigate like all that and then becoming friends with these people uh, it's very easy shut your mouth and open your ears and that's don't it. speak unless you're spoken to that's it that's how it was when it came to tank and berg and all those guys new jack all of them no when they acknowledged me is when i spoke yeah Exactly. Outside of going up and shaking their hand, introducing yourself. And it blows my mind because, like, there were guys that are not in the business now, like, didn't make it past their first match that I trained with. Like, they, big, big ego. Like, when, like, they'd meet these guys and, you know, like, they just start talking, wouldn't let the guys, like, a Tim Ernesto or somebody get a word in edgewise. And then it's just like, okay, I'm just going to sit here and watch you dig your own grave now. Or you didn't go shake Jerry Lynn's hand when you walked in or whatever it may be. And it's like, okay, cool. It it blows my mind how these guys just don't think that way anymore. I don't know if that just stems back to the way they were trained or if it's just like an ego thing. That's what it is. It's how they were trained. There's too many people that are training people that shouldn't even be in the business, much less training people. Amen to that. It's exactly how you were brought in. Yep. Because you have a way that your parents raised you then you have how your trainer brought you into the business. Yep. That sets you up for everything in wrestling. Absolutely. I think it's the same way in acting as well. Yeah. It's how your parents raise you, and then it's how your agent talks to you. You got a good agent, he's going to tell you, don't take this role. Yeah. This role, you're not ready for this. Or he'll tell you, I think you're ready for this role. Yeah. Or he'll tell you, hey, man, you know, the dailies have come in. They're shit. Yeah. I'm happy with you. You got to change something. Yeah. They'll be up front and they'll be honest. The communication will be there. And like you said, too, like something I always hear is you can tell a lot about a person by the way they were raised or the way they treat their parents. And, you know, I think that's something, too. Like, I'm starting to notice, too, a lot of these guys in the business don't exactly come from the best home upbringings or, you know, they're raised by their grandparents. Again, you know, like, yeah, nothing wrong with that at all. But, like, if you don't have that person to look up to, or you don't have somebody telling you or teaching you respect, it's going to be hard to break that when you get somewhere where that's a big part of the culture that you've now in, you know, and, you know, entered yourself into. So, you know, if you know somebody has a situation like that, especially that's younger, especially you, like with everything you've done and all the hats you've worn in the business, do you try to pull them to the side and break them? Like just kind of break it down to them. Like, Hey, I know you're still new. This is what you've got to do. So you don't give the wrong impressions or does it all just kind of stem back to how they put themselves out there? Some people don't want to be helped. Some people are happy. That's it. been an asshole to everybody for the rest of their lives. Yeah. If somebody wants to learn, then you can teach them. 
Yes. But if they're set in their ways, there's nothing you can do about it. All you can do is just kind of prepare everybody. But I try not to associate with those guys. Like, you know, you can tell somebody, especially maybe it's because I'm a manager and having to watch everybody. Yeah. You sit back and you watch that and you're like, oh, this guy's a piece of shit. Yeah. Uh, he's not going to listen to anything I got to say. There's no sense in it. And then you have people that act like complete jerk offs and then come over to you and like the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. Some people is also how you act. Yep. I'm not an approachable person. Like I sit by myself as soon as the mask goes on. Not a lot of people fuck with me. Like, yeah. A whole other character comes out. So you're in your zone. And if I put my mask on, you come up and talk to me, you ain't getting shit. Yeah. I, I'm not talking to you. I'm I, already fucking locked in. I get that. So, dude, I know we've been going for close to an hour here right now. So I know things are kind of. I don't necessarily think a down period is the right word to say it, but kind of in a, I guess we'll call it a, we'll call it a hibernation phase. What's coming next for you? Like what's next for Wicked as far as wrestling goes or with the family goes? Like what do you have in the pipeline or what are you hoping to accomplish as things keep moving on? Well, eventually somebody would give me a chance to to redeem myself, if you want to say, and uh, realize that I'm not nuclear. Yeah. As far as like my kids, uh, my son's getting ready to go to college. So nice. That's a big thing. Nice. Uh, he graduated during the pandemic, uh, decided he wanted to go into broadcasting, and he was going to be an engineer at one point. But I support him. That's what I went into was broadcast. Absolutely. Broadcast and that's what I started and, college uh, with, too. So, uh, huge accomplishment. My middle child's about to be in high school. My kids are kicking ass in school. Nice. You know, it's been, it's been tough, tough for them, you know. Oh, especially yeah. Especially my middle child, because Angie died on her 13th birthday. Oh, man. And, you know, it's just... Doing it one day at a time. Yeah. I have some friends that are doing a movie, uh, Bad Moon Rising. Nice. And under a bad moon, like they have coming out to festivals. So I'm going to check that out. Yeah. Uh, going out and doing a lot of stuff with my kids during the downtime. Uh, trying to go to concerts. Absolutely. Vaccinated. I, my son and I can get in anywhere, but you know, it is, uh, we we're supposed to go to see, uh, see Slipknot oh. before Angie passed away. And I called her up and told her that. You know, because the kids, my kids love Slipknot. Like Kanye West, you know, we all have our favorite songs by then. Mm -hmm. It's not the same one. Same thing with Childish Gambino. Right, we right. My favorite Childish Gambino song, but it's not the same one. And I remember uh, telling her that I was going to go to Slipknot, and uh, she's like, oh, you're buying five tickets? And that's just how it is now. Now it's like, we're going. Yeah. Anything we can go to, we're going. That's it, man. It's all about the experiences and making memories at this point. Yeah, because I didn't take any pictures. No oh. picture that I've ever taken is I didn't take it. It was Jerry Lawler had a picture with me, him, and Sue Young. Oh. I met all these people, and all, if, it's not on YouTube. You could say it didn't happen. Yeah, that's true. Man, and that's... My YouTube and Twitter, I'm still active on that. Yep. I love Twitter. I'm addicted to Twitter. I'm sorry. I love getting in discourse. You know, I love watching people. Uh, I keep up with independent wrestling. Yeah. Anywhere in the Southeast, any of my guys that go to Germany and Japan, which right now is on a lockdown. Yep. I pay attention to all of that. And that's the uh, easiest way to do Masha it. Slumovich, like Masha Slumovich. Yeah. Uh, when I used to have a radio show, she called our radio show when she was 13 years old. Now she's wow. Impact, one of the best. You look at Ben, what Ben's doing WWE, what Kane's doing MLW, what yeah. Bishop's doing in the Southeast. Bishop took seven years off, but he's come back. And I tell everybody right now, He's like the Brock Lesnar of the Southeast. And that is... Like you have to, if Bishop's going to lose, it has to mean something. And I yes. love that. I think Seven should be treated the same way. 100%. Seven's not in the business. Yep. And again, it's just... I think he was done dirty. I think he's one of the guys that was done dirty just 
going out there and giving the man, having this man drive this big motherfucker four hours. Yes. Because I might have a three minute match. Come on, man. He's not going to get any better. And he would put the miles in for it. And I know too, another friend of mine and sevens, uh, we would actually go over to his studio and I would do the, the voiceovers for his, uh, you know, for his promos that like this guy would get these ideas in his head and we would all collaborate and he would make these videos to hype the matches he had coming up. I would do voiceovers for him. Will would put in the effects and the visuals and make the videos and everything. And like you said, he kind of, he got done dirty because he would make those four or five, six hour drives, get a three minute match. And then what's next? Where's the big payoff on that? Where's the chance to actually show what this six foot four guy can actually do that's almost 300 pounds can do a jumping elbow drop and get enough height to go over the top rope like i know i bust his balls a lot and call him like a dollar store dwayne johnson but the guy is is money but somebody's just got to take that chance and see that in him again man and i will say this to everybody to everybody out there watch what you asked for in payment as well yes yes make sure you get paid Amen to that. And that's something I tell that guy too, because we've gone back and forth on his, like what he thinks is a fair payment. I'm like, dude, it's your body. It's what you think you're worth. Don't negotiate it. If they don't want to pay you now, they'll come back down the road. Simple as that. Seven does. I gave seven everything he asked for. I was like, yeah, come on. Yep. You want this? Yeah. Well, I'll give you that. Just make sure you're fucking here and let's, let's do business. Absolutely. Well, man, I can't, there's so much more we could go on about, and I know at some point, too, I'll probably have to have you and him on here, and if we can get Orion on here, too, man, I'd love to get him as a one-on-one, and then just get, like, all three of us, or all four of us together, and just talk about a bunch of different stuff, but I think that's a good place to put the bow on it right here for this episode, and, yeah, put it under the tree for Christmas this year, but, um... I'm going to make sure we get all your social medias plugged so that we can get everybody on here to follow you and everything. But is there anything else that you want to leave the listeners with before we call it a night? Work smarter, not harder. Amen to that. And keep it simple, stupid. No wiser words. No wiser words. Well, guys, that's another episode right there in the book. And I want to thank you guys again for listening. I want to thank Wicked for being so generous with his time here tonight. And... Again, please feel free to tell your friends and family about this, especially at the holidays. If you're spending time, if you're traveling, I hope this podcast will get you through your time on the road. I hope you'll remember that there's an important reason and a time to put the phones away, spend time with your family, and just make the memories and make the time count. And I hope you're able to do that this holiday season. I hope you have safe travels. I hope you get to spend time with your family. I hope you'll follow us on social media. Again, it's on Facebook. It's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. We'll have links to all those in the show notes. I hope you'll subscribe to us on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, whatever your preferred platform is. And if you're on iTunes, again, leave us a five-star review. Tell us what you like. Tell me what you don't like, and I'll make sure we get it done. Make sure you guys are happy with the product I'm putting out. Again, Wicked, I want to thank you for being so generous with your time here tonight and not being afraid to... Just be open and be real and be vulnerable about everything. I really appreciate that, and I've enjoyed catching up with you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. This means a lot to me. This is the first thing I've done wrestling-wise, period. Besides go to Spartan and be like, holy shit, what did y'all do? Right. 
Well, man, I'm honored that uh, that I was one of the first things. So, man, there's going to be plenty more to come. But, guys, again, from the bottom of my heart, we've been going for four months now. And I see the numbers. I see the feedback that you guys are leaving. And I greatly appreciate it. And if you celebrate it, I want to take the time to wish you and yours a Merry Christmas. Hope you all have a safe and happy holiday. We'll be back with one more episode for the year next week. Be back on New Year's Eve for one more episode this year. And then we're off into 2022. So guys, I hope you have a safe and Merry Christmas. Hope you enjoy the holidays and have safe travels. And I know you hear me. Hey, this is Jimmy Street, host of the Live and in Color with Wolfie D podcast. Hear the life and times of professional wrestler Wolfie D. From his times in the territories with PG-13 to his times in WWE, ECW, WCW, TNA, and more. Nothing is off limits and nothing will be held back. Available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and all major podcast formats.